Welcome to the Recharge Your Life podcast with me, Dr. Carrie Ulrich and Kelly Gunther. We are thrilled to talk to people who have made a decision that recharged their lives. Often, they pushed themselves out of their comfort zone and took risks. We want to know about that decision point, why did they make that decision, and most importantly, how can we learn from them? Kelly and I are passionate HR professionals, and together we co-founded our HR consulting firm, Abracci Group. We have talked to amazing people throughout our careers and listened to them as they made decisions that changed their lives and knew that these inspirational stories would help others. And why did we call it Recharge? It's based on a book I co-authored called The Way of the HR Warrior. And in it, we have a leadership model, CHARGE, which stands for courage, humility, accuracy, resiliency, goal-oriented, and exemplary. We know that people used one or more of these qualities to help them make their decisions, and we want to learn from them. Now, sit back, listen, and be inspired by these stories, and then do something to recharge your life. Let's get to it. Hi, everyone. It's Kelly. We're so honored to have Bev Atfield as our special guest. As principal of workplace science at Jossel, Bev cares about the experience people have at work. She explores the role that leaders play in purposefully crafting engaging environments for people to be themselves fully in the workplace. Bev's curiosity about what creates individual fulfillment at work and unique workplace cultures drives her day-to-day work at Jossel and beyond. She's a regular contributor to the Jossel blog and host of the People at Work podcast and Conversations at Work dialogue series. When Bev's not doing workplace science, you'll find her running, taking lessons and presents from her dogs, or sharpening her bananagram skills. So Bev, we'd like to first start our podcast by asking, what show, podcast, book, or blog do you go to when you want to push yourself and expand your thinking? Hi, Kelly. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, Wow, that's a a hard question to answer with just one response. Um, But I would say that my go-to is uh, the material that Sam Harris puts out into the world. Um, So Sam Harris, I'm not sure if you know him, he's a neuroscientist. um, And he has two uh, resources that I like to make use of. Um, The first is his Making Sense podcast. And then he has a waking up app, which is a meditation app. And I find that the just the way that he approaches the world and forces me to think differently about uh, things like consciousness and presence and logic really have helped me um, not only improve myself, but expand my thinking. Uh, thank you, Bev. I really, uh, I'm so excited for Bev to be on this podcast. I met her because I did her podcast. So look at us, Bev, these power <laughs> podcasters. It's great. Uh It's great to be returning the favor. It's so lovely. (laughs) We had such a good time. What, first of all, I think Bev could be one of our only guests who actually listened to rules and said, here's one. Everyone else, Bev's like, I'm not going to listen. I'm going to give you two or three. So I I like that you, I love my rule breakers, but I also like when someone actually pays attention and reads the direction. So I thank you. What I haven't heard of Sam Harris, but I love neuroscience and figuring out the brain and, and how that impacts HR. Did you meditate before? We have a lot of shows coming up about meditation, uh, and that's what people have really changed their lives on. Did you meditate before, and how did you use this app to help you? Well, I've always wanted to get better at being more present in mm-hmm 
my environment and also to calm my mind because I I, I do have a, a very busy mind. Mm-hmm. So I had always thought of meditation as a way to channel my sort of presence and to learn to be more disciplined, but I never really came across a modality of meditation that really appealed to me until I came across Sam Harris. And Sam isn't necessarily known f- as being a, a meditator. He He's published a series of books, which are, uh, you know, books on political commentary, mm. um, books about, um, you know, social behavior and social conscience. Um, and through his life work, he started to think about consciousness and what is consciousness, which led him into this realm of meditation. And so his his form of meditation is really more about understanding the brain and how the mind works and how we can actually improve our relationship with um, ourselves through our minds by not necessarily thinking of ourselves as as an entity um you know we're we're not things that are having things done to us uh, we have the ability to observe and then choose whether or not we respond to those things so that really appealed to me and how i sort of think about the world but it's also forced me to think about things differently and just by learning about the brain what what would you uh, yes to wholeheartedly violently agree with we can choose how to respond to things. So when people say things like, well, I mean, he did that. So therefore I had to, no, you didn't mm-hmm, You have a choice. Mm-hmm. You always have a choice. They, in, in HR, we, we like to say, well, the choices both suck, but you still have a choice, right? So we're going to pick which of the least sucky people think sometimes it's a good choice and a bad choice. Sometimes they're both kind of poor choices. Yeah. So what just, uh, because I know your brain's active and you could, you can, you're, you're flexible. What, is like the one thing from the meditation that you have really, your brain has kind of changed or you've changed the way you thought about something. You're like, this has really helped me, this one part, this one thing. Yeah, I, I think it's about finding the the space to to control how you respond to mm-hmm. something or not respond at all. I, mm-hmm. I think in in terms of emotional um, steadiness, I think that's definitely been one of the things that I've gained from it. Um, you know, before we started this conversation today, I just sort of s- s- took a, a few minutes just to sit and be still and um, to just really do some breathing. No, it's not even really about breathing because that that starts to sound like, you know, the hippy trippy kind of meditation. <laughs> you know, do your 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 breathing and you know, you'll be fine, sit cross-legged and you'll be fine. Um it's it's more than that. It's it's about really understanding that you are a collection of biological processes and the more you can understand about those processes, um, the more that you realize that you're just a, a collection of things that are happening. And um, you can actually control those things through breathing. You can step away from things. You can really observe things without emotion and reaction to it. I will. Thank you for sharing that. I will use a quote from one of my uh, close friends. And she said, just sometimes act like a scientist, Carrie. Just remove yourself <laughs> from the situation. Just <laughs> remove. It almost sounds slightly dissociative disorder, but that's not what she meant. She just meant be a scientist, be Jane Goodall, observe what's going on. You don't have to be so involved in it. You can observe it. And so thank you for sharing that. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no but, problem. 
Now the major question, what is the life decision that you made that changed the trajectory of your life? And then what are those charged qualities that you used to help you make that decision? Yeah, thank you for asking. So, you know, I think like many of us, there's uh, something that happens in your life that's sort of the, the spark that lights the fuse, right? And you can really see that as a definitive moment in your life. And my story really starts on the 9th of October, 2010, where my husband and I were at the 20-week ultrasound for the baby that we were carrying. And, you know, as you are when you're almost uh, six months pregnant, you arrive with, uh, you know, the optimism and excitement of, of seeing, you know, this little person on the screen and understanding, uh, you know, how they're developing and just being caught up in the moment and the, the joy of it all. And when we arrived for our appointment, um, you know, we were checked in, it, all, it was all routine. Um, but very quickly, as I was lying on the uh, bed and having the ultrasound technician by my side, I very quickly realized that something was wrong uh, by the behavior and the response of the ultrasound technician. And what unfolded from that moment onward was, um, you know, a, a fairly significant, well, very significant and extremely tragic phase of my husband and my life. Um, so from that appointment, we were very, very quickly ushered into a series of uh, further investigation, um, more ultrasounds, scans, uh, family history discussions. Um, and it, it transpired that our baby, our baby boy, um, had a very severe case of um, what's known as hydrocephalus, so water on the brain. And this had severely compromised um, his development and to the extent that his life was not going to be viable um, if I was able to carry him to term. So we had to make the extremely gut-wrenching decision to terminate the pregnancy. And um, that had to happen within two weeks after the initial 20-week ultrasound. So we went from being um, elated and planning our, our little family um, to being in a position where we were going to lose the baby and, and not only lose the baby, but we actually had to take steps in order to terminate the pregnancy. Um, so, you know, that in and of itself was, uh, you know, an incredibly difficult, complicated process. Um, and this came on the heels of us spending the better part of, of six years trying to conceive. And uh, this little baby was the, the outcome of multiple rounds of IVF. So for us, it wasn't just losing this little human. It was actually realizing that our, our hope and dream of having a family um, was also going to be terminated at the same time because um, – we did not want to go through additional IVF because that was very clearly we were not able to con conceive on our own. Um, but we also knew that um, there was potentially something um, deeper wrong with the baby that we would have to explore in order to understand genetically um, if there was anything that we needed to be concerned about. So um, as the months unfolded um, following the death of our, our baby, and his, his name is Archer, uh, we, we did name him, and uh, as time unfolded, as we were dealing with our grief, um, it, it really felt like we were grieving a number of things. We were, we were grieving the loss of our son. We were grieving the loss of, uh, you know, a, a life with children and, uh, you know, 
all the joys and and dramas and and <laughs> and heartache that that brings with it as well. But um, we really were forced into this new trajectory that was not of our choosing, um, and yet we knew that we had a choice to make, and that choice was either if you continue living yourself, you have to live. And fortunately, both my husband and I are are quite pragmatic people. And we're also very much aligned. Um, we're an amazing team. Um, we were such incredible support for one another through through what we went through. And um, going through this as a man and a woman, there are obviously different experiences that you have. And neither of us could understand really what the other one was going through. But yet we had this common grief that we were able to navigate through together. And when we made this decision to live, um, we did that in, in honor of Archer. And really, if if you come through something like this, if you're going to continue living your life in a way that um, doesn't do anything for yourself, first of all, or add anything back into the world, then I had really questioned whether there was any point of going on. So for, for me, it was, if I choose to continue through, I'm going to do this in the best possible way. And I'm going to make sure that my life is lived in a way that is enriching, not only for me and my husband, but is enriching to others around me. And if, if my experience can help others um, gain hope or, or feel that there is a chance to live through something so devastating, then um, that's what I decided to do. So maybe I'll pause there. I know that's a lot to to download, <laughs> um, and just uh, let you you take it from there, Carrie. Oh, but this is where you can tell you're a podcast host because you're like, let me pause and let me throw the mic over to to Carrie. Uh, thank you. First, before I start crying, thank you for sharing. They, we we did we just so the listeners know we Kelly and I don't know what people are going to say before they say it, so it's always a surprise to us. But Bev did warn us, and we thought, oh god, there's going to be so much crying on this call. But we're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna try to rein it in a little bit, a little bit. I can't promise much, but just a smidge. But first, I'm sorry. But second, the fact that you speak about it. Thank you. And that's where I'll cry because, oh, Kelly, take over for a second. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. Um, to, to echo Carrie's sentiment, um, thank, you know, thank you for, for being so willing to share what I can't even imagine the pain that you must feel to have had to make such a, a heartbreaking decision as to lose little Archer um, the way that you did. Um, uh, you know, that, that type of anticipation, it's so cruel to lose in, in that way. So I'm so sorry that you, you had to suffer a loss so unimaginable. Um, and yet to, for you and your husband to unite in a way to honor him and say, you know what, we're going to, to move forward in a way that not only respects his life, but our lives as well. It's such a moving tribute to him. And the resolve that you had to have to dig deep, when I'm sure it must have been very easy, Bev, at times to just absolutely say, you know what, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to. I don't want to do maybe the heavy lifting today. I don't want to do the work that's necessary for me to push forward and, and move ahead. I can't imagine what that must have been like. Yeah, certainly. Uh, thank you for the, the the sentiment and the, the care um, that you just expressed. And you know, certainly the the first 
months and years were there were some dark times in there. It's you know I'm, I'm by no means glossing over the extreme grief um, and the sort of cutting pain that we mm-hmm. felt, um, and it came and went right like mm-hmm. like grief does. Um, but you know if I think back to our discipline and our determination through even those darkest days was we made a, a deal with one another that we would always get up in the morning and we would, even though we took some time off work and, and we were, um, you know, we were not mentally and emotionally capable of much through those early days. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we set some ground rules for how, you know, or guardrails that we knew we needed in the beginning that would help us get get to a place we were we, we were on more solid ground so that we could start to think about what next. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, definitely um, there were some very dark moments. And, and even now that, you know, I, I'm also not saying that I'm completely through this. Um, mm-hmm. there, there are many moments that, that are punctuated with sadness and um, just reflecting on um, – and it's 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 not about thinking about what could have been because my husband and I and and me in particular I'm I'm not a what if person like I I have never thought well what if things worked out differently or if only this or perhaps that right there, there's no good that comes from that kind of thinking mm-hmm. so I think that really helped me steer myself um, through it um, in a way that I never felt anger I never felt that anyone was to blame. Um, I, I never felt additional negative emotions that would have made the grief that much more difficult to, to cope with. And I, and I don't know why that is. I, it, it could just be my character or my personality. Um, I, I'm not sure, it, but I'm grateful for it because mm-hmm. I can completely imagine that if, if, if you did have that um, propensity to feel um, a longing for something that you can't have, that, you know, it would be that much harder to get through it. Mm -hmm. And I imagine too, Bob, I mean, I think one of the reasons why this is so incredibly moving is because I feel like there are a lot of people who suffer in silence, having lost a child, whether um, due to miscarriage or, or, or just having lost a child, you know, at any point in life um, who, understanding the levels of grief and how to grieve. Um, you know, there's really no roadmap. I, I don't think, I don't, I don't imagine that, you know, of how to handle or how to go through that. And, you know, the support groups that are available. I mean, do you, I mean, I, I don't know that there's really a whole lot of um, support that exists, right. You know, and I could be wrong because I, I myself am not a mother, but um, having, having heard your story I think that there's a lot of people who, whether they they themselves have gone through a loss like this or um, have gone through a loss, know of someone who's gone through a loss, um, it will be incredibly impactful to to just know how to support somebody, and 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 have and have kind of the words to say. I, I guess is what's incredibly impactful. Yeah, you're right. It is a lonely journey. And Mm -hmm. even though uh, many women and families have experienced the, you know, the loss of a child through miscarriage or or other um, tragedies, um, you cannot fully understand what another person is going through. Um, You don't, you, you may have a similar experience, but you don't have their experience. And, 
and the other part of it is that people don't know how to approach someone who is mm-hmm. going through something like exactly. what we went through. Exactly. And they're either too scared to say something because they're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing or they, they don't know what to say. They don't know how to comfort you. Um, so it's, it's a really lonely place. And to be honest with you, I, I haven't really spoken widely about our experience. I mean, obviously my close friends and people who know me um, on a, on a sort of a, a more personal level know what happened to us, but it also isn't something necessarily that you lead with, right? It's it's not it's 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 not something that you are going to put out there immediately as a way mm-hmm. to um, define yourself, or be, mostly because you you're just not sure how people are going to respond to it. And and yet, I I believe it is actually important to talk about it because it needs to be destigmatized, and yes. you shouldn't have to be alone through this. Something like this. Yeah. So it's, it's, I'm back going to try again. And the reason I wanted, like, we'll see how it goes, but Kelly, bless you. Cause you're amazing. Um, but I wanted to say Bev, thank you because when I had a miscarriage and this was very early in the pregnancy. So again, I, I, what you said is you can have a similar experience, but you don't know how that person felt, but you know, the loss part of it. And so I think when I started doing the research and when I told people, because I'm pretty open with a lot of the things that have happened in my life. And all of a sudden, Bev, people said, oh, yeah, I had one, but I didn't tell anyone. Wait, what? You're my friend. I didn't even know this. Like, yeah, because they felt like a failure or they felt whatever they either they didn't want to share and they didn't or they thought they were so alone. And then I remember seeing a stat. It's a very large statistic, like 30 to 40 percent of women experience this pregnancies. And so the, the, having miscarriages, losing the baby. So it's, it's far greater than we ever think. And as women, how can we support each other through it and, and discuss it? And it's okay. And it's not, like you said, it's not a failure. It's not whatever. It's just our bodies. But, you know, as women, we support each other in many things, but this is kind of something we often don't talk about. And I, I, yeah, and it's not in your bio, um, we didn't list it in your bio, and you said you don't leave with it. But but I do think it's important, and I and I've like you. Sometimes I kind of put it into a conversation when it's appropriate, of just because I want people to know that it's okay to talk about it. Yeah, and it's okay to share it. Well, and it's also who I am, right? So yes. it's, it's authentically part of who I am, and this is something that happened in my life that changed me forever. And I'm I I'm not the person. I am today because of, of anything else. I, I am the person I am today because of what happened to me and um, the accumulation of other experiences, yes. But but definitively, I can say that Archer changed my life. And um, maybe to some degree, I, I like to keep that within me because it's mm-hmm. a special thing that I, I hold dear to, to me and my husband. But um, I, I do also realize that um, there are things that that come from going through an experience like this that um, really can help you help others. And so even though I don't lead with it, I think that the way that I conduct my life is a result of Archer, but people don't necessarily need to know that. What do you think then are the, a couple of the biggest things that really shifted for you in your mindset and, and your life because of Archer? Yeah, so I think that the, the obvious one um, – is that life is is short, um, and that it often doesn't go according to plan. 
So in everything that I do now, I, I really approach things as um, not that today's the only day I've got, but I, I really have a more now orientation than I, I, I did before. Um, and also just in, in terms of planning, I, I expect that things are not going to be perfect. And I, I expect that things might change or be different from what I imagined them to be. And over time, over the 10 years since Archer died, I, I think I've become more comfortable with that feeling. And that has allowed me to to do certain things in my life that I don't think I would have done if, if I didn't go through the experience with Archer. Um, like, for example, um, I mean, there's a realm of, of work-oriented decisions that we can get to in a, in a minute. But um, since um, Archer died, I, I became an avid runner. Running was one of the ways that I actually was able to um, biologically deal with <laughs> my grief because it really it, – I felt like it actually removed the grief from my body. Um, and so I became a, a runner and a, a fairly um, – sassy runner at that. I, I, I picked audacious goals and I went after them and I did them and it just gave me a, a completely different outlet and, and way to channel things and, and process things than I ever had before. And then the, the other th thing that my husband and I did was we took a two-year sabbatical. So about three years after Archer died, both of us knew that we could not continue on with status quo. Um, we, we both returned to our same jobs after um, Archer died. We continued on because we felt like we needed the stability to just bridge into what we thought we could do next, um, you know, given what had happened to us. Um, and we, we realized that the only way we could do that was to take a clean break. So we, we sold everything. We gave up our apartment, we took our backpacks and we went traveling for two years. And that was the most cathartic, incredible experience um, that we we ever have had. Um, and it was absolutely, we were able to do that because we were now open to this new sort of feeling of anything's possible. And because we didn't have children, we weren't going to have children, it seemed okay to take risks like moving two years of your retirement into your late 30s. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> you know, so I, I think that holding on to that whole idea of, of life is short and uncertain um, gave us some opportunity to do things that we, we maybe wouldn't have done before or, you know, if, if, it, if what happened to us didn't happen. Yeah. I, 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 when we look at the charge qualities, I don't know which one you prepared to talk about, but all I can hear is resiliency and your resiliency with within you, with your relationship. A lot of times a loss of a child can tear a relationship apart. So the fact that you're stronger and you said you have such a great partner and, but what, what are some of the qualities that, that helped you? Yeah, I absolutely, um, embrace the resiliency um, quality. I, th I think that it is, it absolutely defines the way that we have navigated um, the complexities of what happened to us and, and, and just as life unfolded, you know, mm -hmm. and even today, here we are in a pandemic. And mm -hmm. I, I feel like some of the, the <laughs> some of the life knocks that I got from our experience is actually bolstered me and, and, and made me prepared for something like, um, you know, this experience that we're going through right now. Um, some of the, you know, as you define resiliency is, is, is absolutely um, being put into play right now. Mm -hmm. So 
So I would certainly say resiliency. And then, you know, I think courage and humility are there as well. But um, definitely resiliency is, is the one that I emphasize the most. Yes. And I, I think it's as you one of the gifts about getting older and going through some of the things like this is when you get through it, the next one that comes, you're like, oh, I can do this. I've done something like this before. I've been at a Brock bottom. I, I can I can pull myself out. And so it's building up that resilient, thick skin that you say, I can do this, especially because I have this great partner too, to go through it with me. Yeah. Uh, what? So you are a shining example of resiliency and your practicality, like you said earlier, so helped you. The fact that you don't necessarily give in to that what if thinking, because that can take you down paths that are very dark and sad. And you can sit back and say, well, what if, and this, oh, what if this would, okay. And it might not have, might not have either. So it's a lot of mental energy that goes out on those what if situations. Yeah, I would agree. And I, I think the other thing that I, I, I took away as a lesson is you can't undo life and life events. Uh, you may be able to control how you respond to those events, but you can't control what happens. Um, and no amount of magical thinking is going to undo something that's happened. So you have to think about what can you do rather than, you know, what can't I do? Um, you know, so in, in my case, it, it's, well, this has happened. Um, I can't have this child. I, I can't have a family. But what can I do? I can have a rich, full life and I can make sure that the life that I lead actually um, is fulfilling to me, but is potentially helpful to other people as well. So I think it's it's a very key distinction you have to make in your mind around what you feel like you can control. Mm -hmm. We talk, Kelly and I have talked quite a bit with business people, HR people throughout this year, talking about you want to waste your energy trying to fight COVID-19, meaning why does it happen? I want to go back to normal. This is unprecedented. That's a lot of energy. Or do you say it's here and now we have to adjust? It, you know, pivot, shift, whatever. But it's here. You can't control it. Uh, you can do what you can to control yourself and others, but you can't just bemoan the entire, oh no, it's COVID-19 and now what are we going to do? And you move into uh, a helpless mode. So Bev, what if, if whatever crisis, because I'm thinking your actions are really just more crisis-based, if you have something that happens to you, what are the, some of the top actions that our listeners can take to help themselves and what you did, advice for them to move through a devastating crisis? Yeah, so I think the, the key action is to just think about looking forward. like. And I know that that sounds like sometimes that might be impossible to do, but whatever your life circumstances, where, wherever you find yourself, um, there's always a next step you can take and you get to choose what that step is. Um, and maybe it, it's it's remaining still, just being in the moment and not doing anything could be what you need to do at that time. So I, th I think that that's a really key thing that, that I try and, and practice. Um, the other thing that I, I feel is, is very important is to act with compassion always. And what I mean by that is you don't know on any given day or any moment what someone else is going through. And 
I feel like my experience has has taught me to remember that everyone is carrying something that's making them sad or is 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 holding them back from from doing something amazing potentially. So even though you don't know what that is and you maybe you can't empathize with it, just be kind and compassionate always. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that gives something back to you too because it's compounding this positive energy that you're bringing. It's compounding, um, you know, by being kind to someone else, you're actually being kind to yourself as well. So I feel like those are, are the, you know, two key things that that I like to practice. And I, I feel like are, are, are quite easy to take on board and think about how you might do that yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think to your point about looking forward, sometimes maybe the day is just forward is, I'm going to make dinner tonight, right? It, it's not this huge goal, perhaps, of um, this is what I'm going to do in five or 10 years. I think that gets very overwhelming to people. But what are the little things you can do to move forward as well? And then even the little things, like you said, compassion. We were just talking earlier about how so many women don't share that they've lost a child uh, due to miscarriage or, or whatever it might be. And you don't know how you don't know about that. And so if they're sad or they seem angry, you have no idea what they're going through. I know I didn't share the miscarriage for a different reason. Um, where I was at work and people had no idea what I was going through. Mm-hmm. And you just, to your point of just remember that people have lots of pain issues going on, especially now with everyone being at home. And how can you just remember just a smidge, even if you can't do it all day, just a smidge, just for a couple people. And that positive energy comes back to you and it goes out to the other people and it does start to change the world. Yeah, absolutely. And and that that's really why I am in the job that I'm in, because I, in addition to making some decisions about things that I wanted to do with my life, like going on my my two-year trip, I, I also made some life design decisions around the type of work that I wanted to be doing and and the place where I wanted to find myself for my day-to-day work. And I really believe that taking a human-first approach and approaching every person in your workplace or in your social environment or in your community at large um, with kindness and by being authentic yourself, you're you're just doubling down on the energy and the 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 kindness that that brings into the world. And I mean, goodness, we all know we we can use more kindness. And um, you know, without making this you know a caring circle and singing kumbaya, that's not what it's about. Um, it's just about seeing and hearing people. And and I'm fortunate that I'm I'm in a in a job for a company that I can live that out. And honestly, if I couldn't live it out there, I would be somewhere else Mm -hmm. Um, because that's the life design decision that I've made um, around what I want from my days. So I think what that means for listeners in terms of action is as far as you can, make those choices that enable you to be who you are in your workplace and in your life and be be fully present in in that decision. Um, Because like coming back full circle to what I said earlier, life is so short Mm -hmm. and um, make choices that allow you to fully live out your life in a way that you'll be satisfied with Mm -hmm. your life when it comes to a close. 
Mm-hmm. And I think because you've done that work on yourself and you know what you want, it's also easier for you to be compassionate to others. So, right, right, because you've you've said, okay, I'm going to be compassionate to myself. I'm going to figure out what I need, and then it's it's, and then you can help others. So it's the it's the typical uh, saying that they have in the in the airplane: put your oxygen mask on first before someone else. That's what you're doing. And so, if you're trying to be compassionate to other people, but you are unhappy or not figuring out your own self, you won't be able to do it. And so, you live this very congruous life because you're doing it and then you're pushing it out into the world as well. So thank you. And thank you for sharing that story, Kelly. I don't see, now I'm not crying now, Kel. So I'm pretty good. Thanks. <laughs> no, I mean, Bev, again, what an incredible um, story. Uh, just again, taking a, a situation that is beyond tragic and, and, finding a way to live your best life as a result, um, looking forward, acting with compassion and being kind, being your authentic, true self, and then making choices that allow you to be who you are and allowing you to live the life that you want for yourself. Um, it's, it's, the, it's the best kind of life I think I want to leave for myself, I know. And so I know I'm truly inspired by your words uh, and by your story. And um, I think that there are many people who, if they're not in tears uh, or haven't cried at some point, they will <laughs> um, because of, of uh, all of the great information that you shared and, and just truly that you can survive this, that you can get past it and that you are proof that you can get on the other side. So if you are someone who would like to connect with Bev, we highly encourage that you do so on LinkedIn at Bev at Field. We will also include a link to the Jostle blog, the People at Work podcast, so you can take a listen to Bev's podcast as well, and the Conversations at Work dialogue series. Again, Bev, thank you so, so much for sharing your incredibly personal story with us um, and sharing such uh, inspirational, um, you know, such an inspirational way of, of, of working through what for many could be just a very difficult um, difficult time that many might decide, you know what, I, I, I can't get through it. I, I don't want to get through it. So thank you so much for, 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 for sharing that with our listeners today. We so appreciate you. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for listening and for encouraging and, and supporting um, my telling of my story. And uh, thank you for the for putting on the podcast and for um, the many voices that, that you bring to the fore to help others recharge their lives. Absolutely. Thank you, Bab. Thank you for listening to the Recharge Your Life podcast. Please sign up for our newsletter at abracigroup.com and follow us on social media. You can find us on LinkedIn at Abrachi Group, Instagram at Warriors of HR, and Twitter at Warriors underscore HR. Remember to subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and please tell a friend. And be sure to drop us a note on how you are recharging your life. We can't wait to hear from you.